0: Open your Bible to Judges, Chapter Seven Judges. Judges Judges Judges. Judges. Chapter 7 Does everybody have a study sheet? Anyone need one? Okay, we need one up here Andrew's got it Oh, we got another one We got another one Anybody else need a uh, study sheet? Raise your hand Anyone need a Bible? Anyone need a Bible? Anyone need a B-I-B-L-E? Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B I B L E. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else need a Bible? Good? All right. Yes. Pen. Does anybody have a pen? <laughs> we need two pens. Three, pens. Three pens. Three pens. Four pens. Four pens. Four pens. Four pens. Five pens. If I going once. Five. Going twice. Sold to no one. (laughs) There you go. Okay. Oh my gosh. So you better give it back. That's all we got to say. You're needy. (laughs) That's right. We just sang about it. Lord, I need you. So you need (laughs) it. Yeah. All right. what what? Pen. Here's the pen? the pen. I should Oh my. Take a take you the like hmm. oh, <laughs> No, No, literate- <gasps> Man, are we ever going to get this road on the show? I mean, I did it on purpose. The show on the road. We're going to get this road on the show? Show on the road? All right. Okay, so, does everybody have a Bible? Does everybody have a pen or boligrafo if you don't speak English? Study sheet. Yeah. Be good. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Okay. All right. Judges chapter seven. Judges chapter seven. Okay. Alright, so if you have not joined us, joined us last week and didn't catch up on our podcast, we covered Judges chapter 6 last week. But in a touch of review, uh, why don't you guys tell me what happened? What were some of the highlights from the story? What were some of the things you learned from last week from Judges chapter 6? Judges 6. We can start it off by the main character, who is? Gideon. 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 Yeah, Gideon. Yeah, Gideon. <laughs> get, get, get yeah, on Gideon. <laughs> there you go. All right, and what else? What else we got? What happened? Yeah. Yes, um, for a lot of, like, God told him to deliver Israel, but he asked for like, a bunch of signs before. Yes. With a right heart attitude. Yes, he, exactly. He yeah. So it wasn't wrong for him to question what God's will was for him when he had a right heart attitude. Yes. And God did answer him every single time. Good. What else from the story? From, with Gideon. Yeah. Gideon was called the, a mighty man of valor. Yes, and why was he called a mighty man of valor? Anybody know? Remember that one? Yeah. He was like super brave for like going against what the... I forget
1: who. Midianites. Yeah,
0: the Midianites. And he was like growing leaders, flying people into Israel. Yes, means. yep, absolutely. So that was huge. I mean, he put his life on the line. The Midianites did not... Like the fact that that was going on. Anytime the Israelites would be planting any sort of grain to feed their family, their livestock and anything, they'd come in and they would burn it down. They would get rid of it. And so they were starving to death. And so he took a risk to take care of himself, his family, and God's people. That was big. What else? Anything else from the story? Mm-hmm. Gideon's father basically immediately got converted. So if you stand up, the people closest to you, you have an impact on them. Yeah. When God tells you to do something simple, just go and do it. I mean, all of us can find very, I guess, you know, simple, but we can come up with a plethora of excuses why not to do something for the Lord. We really can. But the reality is that if we have a right heart attitude towards God and God's people, and God's will, and we just do the little things that God tells us to do, God will put us in positions with with great open doors to affect a whole lot of people. And Gideon's dad even ended up forsaking Baal. And sort of worshiping the God of the Bible, Jehovah God, that was huge, Brandon. You talk about heart attitude as far as like the signs, mm-hmm. like that Gideon was like asking for, and yeah. Like why it would be right or wrong, yeah. You know that you ask the question like, is it right for him to ask for a sign, yeah, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely, and it's totally okay. Like God doesn't mind when you question Him. It's when you question with an attitude. That's where. They really, you're going to have some major problems. Because, I mean, that even shows up all over the place. I mean, when it comes to, you know, you towards your parents, um, you know, children towards their parents just in general, where they question their parents, and they're like, oh, for real? And they can just come up with an attitude. Ah, that totally ticks me off. And so when it comes to God, if I approach Him saying, God, I just, I really don't understand. I want to do what you want me to do, but is this, is this really it? Am I doing what you've called me to do? And then he keeps moving forward. There's nothing wrong with that. What else do you remember from the story that really stood out to you? Anything else before we move on? I love the fact that he was super humble. I mean, he's like, I'm the least in my father's house. I'm the least in my tribe. Who am I to go and do something like this? And remember, that was a trend of a lot of people in the Scriptures who God used. Moses, Abraham. I mean, even Jesus, when he was in the garden, he's like, God, I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, let your will be done, not mine. And so that's a common trait that we need to have. If you want God to use you, you have to be humble. And if you're going to be humble, that means you have to be willing to forsake your own way and go God's way, which is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And we're going to talk more about that this week in Judges chapter 7. Okay, so the quick summary at the tail end of chapter 6. God has chosen his mighty man of valor, He's confirmed it with Gideon twice in chapter 6 and then Gideon has rallied the people of the Lord. To go and to fight, and remember, he rallied him, and then he even asked for a confirmation after that. So he still was doubting. So now Gideon is ready to go. God told him to go. He called him. He confirmed it. He was sanctified and set apart. He's ready to go do this, and God confirmed it again at the tail end. And then that's where we left it. And so now chapter seven gives us the battle with the Midianites, the battle with the Midianites. So with point number one, belief or unbelief. Now this is not from Gideon's perspective. This is more from the people of Israel's perspective. Because Gideon already knows, right? God confirmed this plan at least twice. So now as he rallies God's people, now you have an event unfold that's really interesting where God lays out a chance for the nation of Israel to have this moment of belief or unbelief. Alright, verse 1, chapter 7. Then Jerubbaal, remember, how did he get that name? Who is that? That's Gideon. How did he get that name? You remember from chapter 6? Yeah. So he knocked down the idol, and then he, he burned it, right? And then he also took down the grove instead of an altar, and that's where the worshippers of Baal came along and said, all right, well then Baal will plead for him. So Baal will kill him if he wants to seek vengeance on him. And so they changed his name to Drubabal. So here you have Drubabal who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the hosts of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands." lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000. 10,000. So how many men total are here? 32,000. 32,000. Men. 32,000 soldiers willing to fight. That's a whole lot. You know, when you read chapter 6 and you see him stirring up a whole bunch of people, I don't expect 32,000. Like, that was not a number that kind of popped into my head. I'm thinking, oh, maybe like, you know, 20, 30, 50 men he rallied up from among his tribe and everything to go into fight. No, 32,000. 32,000. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. And so here is the first thing. God says you have way too many. You have way too many. As we're going to find out a little bit later, the Midianites had so many people, so many people coming against the nation of Israel that he describes them as grasshoppers. And like a plague of grasshoppers. There are so many. And so here you have 32,000, which in my mind, looking at a battle with the Midianites, probably was not enough. And here God pops in and he says, hey, um, you've got way too many. (laughs) What? Like, shouldn't we want like all the help we can get? Yeah, but you have way too many. And then, what was the reason why God said you had way too many? What was the reason? Because he's an underdog. Because he's an underdog. But what was the reason? Like, on top of that? Yeah? Because Israel would um, take the glory of it, they would bond themselves. Yes. That's what God said, that they would vaunt themselves or be boastful or prideful in thinking that they were able to do it by their own hands. And so God's like, okay, now I need to put you in an impossible situation. And I think that we really struggle with this at times because we want to do things by the work of our own hands a lot of times. We want to do things to be known for doing that thing. I mean, and it could be a whole host of things. Some of you are really good at music. Some of you are really good at you know plays and, and dramas. Some of you are really good at sports. Some of you are really good at school. Some of you are really good at art. I mean, there could be all sorts of things that you are really, really good at. And when you do something with the work of your own hands, don't you take pride in that thing that you did. I do. If I do something where I'm like, man, that's amazing. I'm so glad that I was able to do that or I was able to play better or... You know, even if I go, I haven't played golf in like so long. But like I say, I go and I play golf and I do absolutely horrible. And the next time I go play and then I do a little bit better, I'm like, ah, yes. But then I go without a third time and just totally do, do horrid again. And I'm like, why do I even play this sport? And it's just <laughs> terrible. But whenever you do something good, like there's something inside of you that you want to be known for that. That's normal. That's totally normal. But it's also very selfish and very, very prideful. And so you know that God is saying, hey, listen, this is a problem. This is a problem the nation of Israel has. They want to do things by the work of their own hands, and they want to get this victory, and they want to take credit for it. So I need to put them in a situation where they absolutely know we cannot do this unless God helps us. There is no way for us to accomplish this without God helping us. We do not have enough wisdom. We don't have enough strength. We don't have enough anything. We we can't. How can we take on this whole I mean, these, these people that have been persecuting us and oppressing us and attacking us and, and, and burning all of our wheat and, and destroying us. and, and just doing, How can we do this? I mean, we only have 32,000 people and God's like, okay, you have way too many. We need to shrink this down a little bit. God wants to put us in these situations because He wants to prove something to us. We like to prove ourselves. We like to earn the right. We like to make our own way. We like to boast in how great and how great we really are. And that is just pride. And so he puts us in these situations where we have no choice but to submit and to trust him alone. And from this moment, you had 32,000. Now they're down to 10,000. And so there's three things that I was thinking of in our life practically that God will take every person through, where he will put you in a situation where you know that you have no option. You have no hope but to trust him and him alone. There's three ways. If you're taking notes, maybe you can write these three things down. You can see where you're at even in this process. The first one is salvation. Salvation. Salvation is something in your life that you have no option other than to trust God and God alone. That's it. Some of you have come from maybe different religious backgrounds, different church experiences maybe other things about the Bible where you've heard the name of God and Jesus and you've heard scriptures and things like that. Any religion that tells you that you must do something in order to earn favor with God or that somehow you've offended God and now you have to do something in return to pay for it or to redeem yourself somehow is not of the Lord. That is straight from the devil. Because there is absolutely nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. Nothing. 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 And the reason that is, is why? Many of you know this. Why, why is that? Why is it that you there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor? Yeah. He's perfect. He's perfect. He's holy. So the moment you sin just one time, anything that you do is now impacted by that sin. No matter how big or no matter how small, it's still impacted by it. I mean, there's so many illustrations we could go into, but... You know, I've heard, you know, gross, disgusting ones like, you know, you've got two, you know, containers of brownies. And there's one that's just, you know, perfectly made. And how many of you love brownies? I love brownies, especially with peanut butter mixed in. It's like, mmm, mmm, delish. I love it. But let's say you have another pan of brownies where it's like, oh, yeah, this is pretty much the same, but it's, it's pretty much no different. There's just a little bit of poop in it. You're like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Like, you bake your brownies with poop. Oh, well, it just kind of happened. I mean, Blame. I was mixing it in and all of a sudden my dog was just throwing his poop around and it landed in the bowl and we just kept mixing it. We're like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. We can just make it anyway. And no one's going to even know, know the difference. It's, it's fine. It's, it's okay. It's just the same as these ones over here. <laughs> <Routine>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, would you be okay with that? No. 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 You know what else I wouldn't be okay with? Anything that touched that pan like nothing the knife the fork the spatula nothing throw it burn it all burn it all that's disgusting like why would I why would I even do that and yet there's so many of us that our sin is like that piece of feces and it just affects everything it affects everything and once it's in there you can't get it out once it's in there there's, there's nothing you can do to get it out no matter how hard you try you can't get that away from you there's a couple of passages of scripture that I love to share when talking about this Isaiah 64.6 four six it says very clearly, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So even after you're in this lost state where you're a sinner, you can do these things that you call our righteousnesses, but these things, these righteous acts that you do, are as filthy rags in the sight of God. So even these things that you think that are right, like coming to church or praying or reading your Bible, can have sinful selfishness all involved in them. So if you're trusting in those things to save you, then I'm sorry, it's not going to work. Yeah. It's not going to work. God does not accept that because you are unholy and He is holy and there's no, there's no way out of it. There's no way out of it. I like how it says this in Job 14.4, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. You can't. It's not possible. There is no way to go back. It's like when you say something that you regret. Can you take those words back after they've come out of your mouth? No, you can't. Once they're spoken, they're spoken. And your sins, once they have been committed, are committed and there's no going back. James 2.10, I love this verse. It says that if you have offended in one point of the law, you are guilty of all of it. All of it. If you've just done one thing that is an offense to God, you are guilty of the whole thing. That's it. That's it. You're done. You are no longer accepted by God. That's it. And so Titus 2 is another going. Go ahead and turn to Titus chapter 2. We'll get to this verse in a minute. I just want you to turn there. Hold your spot if you haven't already with Judges. You can go back there But Titus 2. And so when it comes to God... Your sin affects everything, everything. And that's why we need a savior. Someone quote for me Ephesians 2, 8, 9. <laughs> Who knows it? Ephesians 2:89, Ben. By grace are you saved through faith and not of, yourself, so the of God and works Yes, yeah, so how are we saved according to that verse? By grace through faith and not of what? Not of works, lest any man should boast. See, it's right there. It's the exact same phrasing that God uses with the Israelites before they go and face the Midianites. The gift of salvation is by grace through faith. It has nothing to do with your works. It's really coming to that place where you know that you need a Savior, and you know you need someone to die for you, and that was Jesus. And until you come to that place, you have no hope. And so that's the first place that you come to. As, a, as someone who comes to grips with, reality, with the reality of, of truth, When it comes to your salvation, there is nothing that you can do, and there's nothing you can hope in except for God and God alone. And his promise to save you. That's why I love Romans ten thirteen. Who knows that one? Go ahead. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever that means anybody can do it. But if you're going to call upon the Lord for salvation, that means you need to recognize, hey, I'm a sinner. And there's nothing I can do. And that's why Jesus had to die for me. And I'm trusting in that and that alone. So that's the first place that people need to come to. And God does that with everyone. Now after salvation, now you have sanctification. We're going to get to the Titus 2 one in a minute. So after you've been saved, now comes sanctification. Do you realize that you really can't sanctify yourself properly? We can try to set apart. First of all, what does that mean? What does sanctification mean? Hey, you're picking up on something. Set apart from what to what? from the world and the ways of this world unto God and His will and His ways and that is not something that you can do on your own you can't you can't there's something very important that you need and that is the Lord Colossians 2 6 and 7 junior hires, who has that one memorized out of the junior high anybody come on Colossians 2 6 and 7 anybody oh I see smiles which means I kind of know but I don't want to raise my hand and volunteer anybody Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Come on, give me a junior ad. Go ahead. As ye have received, he therefore. Wait. As you have received. Christ as you have therefore received. Yeah, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Awesome job. Good job. So, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, salvation knowing there's nothing that you could do. There's absolutely nothing you can do to earn God's favor. That it's Him and Him alone. So walky in Him. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. The moment that you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh yeah, this Christian life, I got this. This is I got it. I got it. Done. I'm going to write a book about it. Oh wait, there is a book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm write a commentary on that book. You know what I mean? Like, no, like that's not how this works. In the same heart attitude, in the same spirit, that you needed Jesus Christ to save you in the same way you need him on a daily basis in order to be set apart from this world unto God in his ways. Because here's the reality: we don't want to be set apart from this world. In our flesh, we want to be a part of this world. This world is appealing. Sin is fun. It is. And anyone that says it isn't is a liar. (laughs) Now, the consequences of sin is not fun. It is not fun at all. And it's going to take some serious spiritual strength that comes from the Lord and His Word and His Spirit in order to be set apart from the ways of this world unto God and His ways. That is not natural for us. So you have to have the same hard attitude. God, I can't do this. When was the last time you prayed to God and said, God, I want to sin. I want to do whatever. I want to do this. Can you please help my heart? Because I know that this dishonors you, and I don't, I don't want to do this because I don't want to displease you, but like in my flesh, I, I want to do this, and I'm struggling. That's called having a real relationship with the Lord. And we all struggle with those things, if you're honest. And this is why the Bible says very clearly, Titus, go to Titus 2. you got that passage I made you turn to. Titus 2, 11-15. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And here's why. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. I love this passage. This is such a good passage. If I'm thinking rightly, I can deny ungodliness and I can deny worldly lust that my flesh desires because I am looking for my Savior and I am remembering that He gave up His life for me so I can gladly give up my life for Him. That's what this verse teaches, these verses teach. And so salvation is one of the first places you have to come to. Am I going to believe God? Am I going to do what He told me to do where there's nothing I can do in order to earn salvation or not? If I am saved, am I going to be sanctified and set apart? Am I going to allow God to work inside of me to rip out the junk that He doesn't want in there and do the things that are pleasing in sight or not? And the third thing that He's going to bring you to is service. Serving Him. Service for God. So salvation is the first thing He's going to bring you to, whether or not you're going to accept it or not. But there's nothing you can do for salvation. You have to trust God and God alone. Sanctification, you need to rely upon His strength and power in order for that process to take place in your life. And then the third thing is service. Service. And take a look at this verse. I love this verse. This is John 6.38. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will. So if you're going to serve God, that means that you are not going to follow your will. You're not going to do the things that you want to do. And are you okay with that? In your flesh? No. God bless you. In your flesh, no. Because there are things that I want to do that I that I want to accomplish, that I want to take place in, in my life with, with my, my mind and my plans and, and, and the moments that God's given me. And, and yet, how many times have I gone to the Lord and said, God, is this really what you want for me? Is this really truly what you want for me? And if God says, I want something completely different for you, am I willing to abandon my thoughts and my ways and to do what Jesus did, where He said, I didn't come to do my own will. I came to do the will of the Father that sent Him. Because that's the mission that we've been called to. I mean, honestly, there's no way you're going to be able to do that without the Lord's help. There's no way. There's absolutely no way that you're going to be able to accomplish this and have this kind of an attitude, joyfully, if you don't have God's help. So God will bring every person to those three places in their life. Salvation first, being set apart, and service. And so here you have the Israelites back in Judges 7. Go ahead and turn there. Go back to Judges. Judges 7. And so here you have the Israelites now faced with this exact same situation in Judges 7. So there are 32,000, 22,000 leave, and only 10,000 remain. And he says, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early. And so they were afraid, and only 10,000 remained. Okay, so they chose not to believe God. They were fearful, and they were afraid. Now point number two. Now you've got these 10,000 guys. 10,000 guys. And now we got verses 4 through 8. Give me a reader to do 4, 5, and 6, and someone to do 7 and 8. Who wants to read 4, 5, and 6? Okay, Ben, you got 4, 5, and 6. Who's got 7 and 8? Okay. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people into the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink, and the number of them that laughed, putting their hand to their mouth, were three thousand. Three hundred. The people bowed down upon their knees. In the Lord said unto Gideon, But by the three hundred men that laughed, will will I save you, and deliver the Midianites unto thine hand. And let all the other people go, every man unto his place. So the people took the tools in their hand and. And their trumpets, and he sent all them, all the rest of Israel, and every man unto his tent, and re- retained those three hundred men. And the host of the Midian was breezes him in the battle. Okay, so now you go ten thousand to what number? Three hundred. And this is not like the three hundred that you're thinking for some of you. No, this is God's three hundred. Three hundred men. Okay. What number did we start off with? 32,000. 32, uh, they were going against the, the entire host of the Midianites. And now we're down to? 300. 300. You know what the percentage that is? 0.0094. <laughs> <laughs> <0-0-9-4. laughs> Percent. That's insane. That's insane. So here you have these guys. You have these guys that are going to go do this. This is insane. 300 men. Only 300 men are going to go and do this. Because God said, "Uh, you still got way too many. Okay, hold on a second. Like, for real? Like, for real. We have way too many. We went from 32,000, now down to 10. Okay, 10. Surely that's enough. No, 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 no. You still have way too many. Let's, Let's do 300. My goodness. What? What in the world is God doing? Okay, so as I was working through this and I was thinking about this, okay, just when you think that you've learned what God is trying to teach you, He likes to take things a step further. Just when you're like, okay, God, I got it. And he's like, yeah, no, no, you don't. <laughs> you really, you think you got it, but you really don't. You're still trusting in your your own strength and your own power. So I'm going to put you in an in incredibly pos- impossible situation where there is absolutely no way out except for me to save you. That's it. That's it. it. It reminded me of a couple different verses. One was James. Go over to James. Hold your spot here and go to James. James chapter 1. James 1. Okay, James 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joys when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this is the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Okay, first of all, verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. How many of you have that one nailed down? Oh, I love it when things are just so hard. (laughs) And I'm in this moment where I'm just so mad at God. It's like my favorite. I mean, none of us. None of us do. I mean, this is one of those things. We hate when things go wrong. We don't like it when we're suffering persecution, when things are not going the way that we plan. We're frustrated. We're irritated. Things aren't going right. We're like, why, God? What in the world are you doing, God? What are you doing? And why are you doing it this way? I don't understand. But here he says you need to count it all joy. And here's why. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. How many of you love patience? And I'm not talking like medical people. Patience, patience, patience. How many of you have like God? I really stink at being patient, so I need you to teach me how to be patient. (laughs) We stink at being patient. I don't know, if you, I mean, if you're an American, I think it's just something inside of you. We don't like to be patient. We don't like to wait for anything, especially in a culture where we literally don't have to wait for anything. Like, we get irritated because we have to order something on Amazon and it takes a day to get to your house. So some of you, they irritates you so much, you go to Walmart first, but you're irritated you even have to drive there, <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, we're in the drive-thru and they're making your lunch or your dinner at Taco Bell and you're like, oh, what is taking so long? This should have been done two minutes ago in your line from five minutes. You know what I mean? We are not patient people. And so God says, listen, you need to count it all joy because the trying of your faith worketh patience. And patience is something very important because patience, you need to let it have its perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. See, if you never have to wait for anything, if you never have to wait on the Lord for anything, then you can never be perfected you can't it goes directly against your flesh and that's exactly what you need sometimes the things that we don't want are the things that we actually do need to exist in our life otherwise how can God work the junk out of us we like to be comfortable so God wants to put you in uncomfortable situations we like to be lazy and so we don't want to work hard for the Lord I mean even the, the, the things that are going to unfold in our church over the next couple months with us starting a new church do I like it? no no for many reasons And it's going to be a lot of hard work. And hard work is, well, I mean, hard work. (laughs) You know? It's tough and it's going to be difficult. And there's going to be people that we've been a part of, their lives and and theirs with ours, for years. And we're not going to see each other as much anymore. And it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. But how in the world are we going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish if we don't multiply? And so there are things like that in your life where God will put you in things, in situations that are extremely difficult, stretching, because that's the only way you can really learn how to yield and submit to Him. And that's what's going on with the nation of Israel. And so there's a difference in between people that hear, and I know I mentioned this last week, but it's worth mentioning again, there's a difference in between people that hear and that actually do. A lot of you hear what God wants you to do, but only a few actually do what God wants them to do. And this is the same is true in my life too. I have to constantly examine this in my own life. Look at verse 22 of this same chapter, James 1. But be ye, what's the word? Doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If you're willing to hear what God has to say, but you never let it do anything in you, you are deceiving yourself by thinking that you're okay when you're not. By thinking that you're spiritual when you're really not. You need to be doing what God has told you to do. You must. You've got to do that. And so this is where God's bringing them because He's already set them apart or sanctified them in in one way because now you have the 22,000 that are gone. But now He takes His 10,000 and He sanctifies them even more and really consecrates them unto this job that He wants them to accomplish. And now it is absolutely impossible, absolutely impossible that God's going to be able to do this with them if it wasn't for the Lord alone. And it just made me think of another couple of verses I want to share with you on the screen. So, I like this one Ecclesiastes 5 1. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. What does that mean? Think about that one. What does that mean? You want to take a jab at it? That makes you think a little bit. Anybody? Just think it through. Yeah. Like instead of just trying to do like works to make yourself right, or just sacrifice random stuff, like take time to listen to God and hear what He actually wants you to do, Mm -hmm. or you just jump into things? Yeah, that's huge. There's a lot of people that they go to God and they have already made up their mind about what God wants them to do. And it's called a sacrifice of fools. There's a lot of people that jump into discipleship when they are clearly not ready. And they don't know what it costs. They haven't thought it through. They've not counted the costs. There are people that, that want to do things for the Lord. And they've got a good heart attitude about it. But they've never really sat down to consider what God actually has to say. So when you approach God, be ready to hear. Then to just go and do whatever's on your mind. Because they don't consider that you're doing evil. Because even in the things that you do that are, have an appearance of good... I I know I've mentioned this before, but do you realize that you can pray and sin while you're praying? Do you know that you can read your Bible and be sinning while reading your Bible? That's totally possible. It's not just, oh, well, I opened up my Bible so everything is good between me and God. No. What's your motive behind it? Like, why are you doing this? Are you doing this just because you know that this is what you're supposed to do and this makes you look good? It's going to make yourself feel better about yourself? It's like, maybe there's a sin that you struggle with. This has happened in my life. There's a sin that you struggle with and then you give in to the temptation of that sin and then you run to God in prayer and open up His Word because you want to make yourself feel better that you just sinned in, before God. What? Okay, now you're treating God like He's some sort of a genie. That's not how this, this works here. No, we're not supposed to do that. Now, if you're coming to God because you genuinely are broken, that's a whole different ballgame. But if you're going there for selfish motives because there's something inside of you that you just are embarrassed about and that you don't really want to get right with, but you just want to make yourself feel better about your sin rather than dealing with it, now you've got some huge problems. And some of you don't even know what I'm talking about right now. And there's other issues that you need to deal with. But that's an example of this. Come ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. I like that one. Take a look at this one. Luke 8.21 And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. So Jesus said this because some of the followers were outside of the house and said, Hey, your mom and your brethren are here to see you. And Jesus is like, Okay. So (laughs) he answered and he says, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. This is an interesting response. But what it shows me here is that God cares more that you hear Him and do what He says than the fact that somehow you are connected with Him. That's important to God. John John 13, 17 If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. If you know what to do, your life will be a lot more happy if you actually do it. If you don't, then you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with your attitude. You're going to struggle with a lot of different things in your life. Those are just a few verses that I, I thought were really, really good. Now here's another question for you. Back to Judges. So God separated the men that lapped from those that bowed down in the water. Why was that? So you have some guys that are doing this. Okay. So let's pretend like um, you know the water's down here. So you got the guys that bend down like this. And they're down in the water and they're drinking it straight from their face. And you have other guys that are doing this. They get down on one knee and they take up their hand and they drink it like this and they lap like a dog and they're drinking the water. Now, why would God choose the 300 men that did this versus the other guys that did this? that their They can see everything. Yeah, they're vigilant. They're seeing everything that's going on. They were very watchful. They were very careful. So while they were fighting, they were paying attention to what was going on. So while they were bowing down like this, they could see the enemy coming. They'd be able to see what's going on. The other guys that were bowing all the way down, they can't see anything. All they were concerned about is themselves and satisfying themselves. It's really interesting. So he chose 300 men. They were vigilant. They were watchful. They were on guard. I thought that was kind of cool. So now you have these 300 guys. These 300 guys. Now we got verse 9. 9... To verse 15, the final confirmation. Now, Gideon wants one more confirmation. This one's kind of cool. All right, so verse 9, I'm going to bust through these verses real quick. And it came to pass the same night, so God didn't waste any time, the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it un- into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Phurah, thy servant, down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they, what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. And then went he down with, with Phorah his servant unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream... And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the hosts of Midian, and came unto a tent, and smote it that it fell, and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the hosts." And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. This is just really interesting. So, how many times has Gideon has this calling confirmed? (laughs) Are you guys like afraid to answer? How many times has Gideon has this calling confirmed so far? Okay, at least how many? Three. Twice. At least twice. Okay? So you had the one where he had the, the offering to the angel, and he burnt that up. And then you had the fleece. And I put the fleece out twice, but I really count that as one. So he had the fleece thing. Okay? So the twice, he had the, his word confirmed. And so here, he gives him the whole plan. He whittles everything down. He's got his men. He's ready to go. And then God's like, <sighs> Okay, if you're afraid, go down. I've given it to you. But if you're afraid, go ahead and take your servant with you and I want you to hear what they're saying in their tents. I love that about God. You know, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. When it comes to obeying God, it's completely okay to be afraid. And God knows that you're going to be afraid. The issue is, are you going to let your fear overtake your ability to obey? Or are you going to obey regardless of your fear? Because you know it's what God wants you to do. And what I love about this too is that Fora here, this guy, what a weird name to you by the way, he's a great picture of the Spirit of God. Because this guy was with him as one of the commanding officers to help him strategize all the stuff that was going on. And here he says, hey, take your servant down with you. He'll be with you every step of the way. And you can go and you can have a little ear in on what's being said about you in the camp of the Midianites. I love this. This is really cool. So it's very comforting to him. And so God comforted him and to let him know what was really going on. As another side note, the Midianites were described as grasshoppers, which I thought was kind of cool because when you cross-reference that out, you have verses like Isaiah 40, verse 22. And this is how God looks at it. This is kind of fun. It is He, talking about God, that sitteth upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heaven as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. So from God's perspective, this entire host of the Midianites, they're just like grasshoppers. I mean, they're grasshoppers. They're just not a threat to God at all. at all. But yeah, they were a huge threat to the nation of Israel and they were very afraid. But that's how God looks at them and that's how God described them. So the enemies of God are always great in number, but it doesn't affect God at all. I want you to remember that. The enemy always has a large number of people, but that does not affect God at all. At all. It affects me greatly. I get intimidated at times with the people that I'm around. If I'm outnumbered, which by the way, as born again Bible-believing Christians, we are always outnumbered, it can be a very fearful thing to take a stand for the Lord. And when it comes to the enemies of God, they are always greater in number than you. Always. But it does not affect God at all. At all. In fact, here's what he says about him. Proverbs 11.21 Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. Proverbs 16.5 Everyone that is proud in heart and is an abomination to the Lord, though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. It doesn't matter if all the people of the earth unite together as an affront to God, God will still win. Just read the Bible. You'll see it all over the place. This is exactly what happens to the enemies of God. So God gets Gideon at the right place, at the right time to comfort his heart about this plan the Lord wants to unfold for his life and for God's people. And now there is absolutely nothing in the way from enacting God's plan. Which, by the way, how in the world, did you think about this? How in the world did one of the guys of the Midianites know anything about Gideon? Did you notice that? You had one guy that said, Hey, I dreamed this weird dream. This like cake of bread, rolled into a tent, and then it hit the tent, and then it fell over. Oh, that means that Gideon, the ho- in all of Israel, Gideon's going to come in he's going to wipe us out. <laughs> Where did that even come from? You know what I mean? I was reading that and I'm like, whoa, hold, hold up. <laughs> like, how did Gideon's name get started thrown around among the Midianites that he was some sort of a threat? They were clearly larger in number, they had more people, they were coming against the nation of Israel, what in the world would have transpired if they were even talking about Midian? I have no idea. I, even, I don't even, I don't know how to answer that question. Like, I, I just don't. I don't know how that happened. Maybe it was the fact that he burned down this, this altar of Baal and then t- took down the field and built an altar unto God and the Midianites heard about that and then Baal didn't do anything. I don't know. Maybe that was it. I have no idea. Maybe an angel showed up among the camp of the Midianites and started talking smack and, t- and telling them about Gideon. I have no idea. But all I know is they're talking about Gideon. And so this tells you something. God is always working. God is always working among the enemies. He's always stirring inside of their hearts. He's always doing something. He's doing something because if you take a step of obedience like Gideon, then God's going to give you this thing, whatever it is, this victory, whether it's a friend who you're like, oh my gosh, they'll never get saved. Well, how do you know whether or not they're going to get saved or not? Like, how do you know? You have no idea what God's doing in the heart of somebody and through the circumstances that they're going through. Sometimes God will allow people to go through some terrible circumstances in order to get at their heart and get you in front of them at the right place, at the right time, in order for you to have the confidence to step through a door to be that ambassador of Jesus Christ to them. You have no idea. God works in some incredible ways. Ways that I am astonished at every time I hear about it. Every time. So don't ever underestimate if God... Let me, let me put it to you this way. Did God die for the whole world? Yes. Okay, so who does that include? Everyone. Everyone. Every single person. Everyone. So is there a single person that you come in contact with that God cannot reach in some way, shape, or form? No. 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 And does God want every single person that you come in contact with to hear the gospel and have an opportunity to be born again? Yes. And I promise you, before they die, God will give them an opportunity. I don't know how, but I know that He will because He died for every man and every woman. I know that. And so how do you know that you are not that person to reach them? I mean, Gideon kind of went in and he was paying attention how much are you paying attention to the people's lives around you? When people are hurting, maybe you have some friends that are going through some seriously difficult circumstances. Like maybe their parents have gotten a divorce. Or maybe their mom or their dad's going through some serious illness like cancer or leukemia or something crazy. Or maybe there's something else that's going on with a terrible car accident and maybe like one of their siblings dies or another family member they were close to. Or maybe their grandparent that they just loved so much passed away because they were just old. Or maybe it was something from COVID. Or Maybe it was something from who knows what. Are you paying attention as an opportunity to maybe go and to talk with them and to say, hey, I'm praying for you. Are you doing okay? Because maybe they're not getting it anywhere else. Like if Gideon would not have gone and been a little eavesdropper on what was going on, he would have never have had confidence to go in and do anything. And he'd have been scared and God knew that so he said go pay attention to what's going on you need to pay attention to what's going on in the hearts and lives of the people around you Gideon did and God comforted his heart in the process this is really cool I got one more verse here before we go into to the next point go to 1st Samuel 14 1st Samuel 14 a little bit to your right 1st Samuel chapter 14 I thought this was good for the whole concept of um, there only being 300 men going against this multitude that's like the sand on the seashore 1 Samuel 14 Alright, 1 Samuel 14 You got this guy named Jonathan Jonathan is awesome Jonathan uh, was very closely Knit to David Because they were of like mind and In 1 Samuel 14 verse 6 you have Jonathan and his armor bearer and they were going to go up and fight against the Philistines. And there was a garrison that was high up on this cliff that they were going to go and fight. And it's just the two of them. And it says in verse 6, and I love how Jonathan says this, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. He trusted God. He knew that if God was with them, it didn't matter if they had a lot with them or if it was just the two of them, that they could have the victory. And that's exactly what's going on with Gideon. Alright, back to Judges 7. Okay, so he receives number three, his final confirmation. And now we have the preparation and execution. So now Gideon prepares his men. Verses 16 through 18. Somebody read that for me. 16 through 18. Go ahead, Tim. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me, and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow the tr- with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Okay, so he divides the men into three groups. So that means how many are in each group? hundred, yes. Some of you guys, it's not school. I don't want to think numbers. Yes, one hundred in each group. So there's three groups. I'm sure there's three, and that's just ironic, right? That has nothing to do with, like, the Trinity or Jesus or psh, nothing. Okay, so we can move on from that. All right, so each person has a trumpet, empty pitchers, and there is a light in the pitcher. Now we're going to do something with that here in a minute. And then the next verse, verse 17, he tells his men to look upon him and to do the same thing that he does. What does that sound like? Simon says. Simon says, no. <laughs> but yes. Spiritual Simon says. Also known as? Leadership, yeah. There's a process that we do with this one-on-one at our church and it's like everything that we do. Yes, discipleship. 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 We do discipleship. That's the whole point of discipleship is that there's someone who's a little bit farther along in their faith and you meet with them and you watch them and you do what they do. That's really what it's supposed to be, discipleship. Their life is worth following and emulating and mirroring your life after, and so you start doing the things that they do in order to learn how to walk with God. That's discipleship. Right there in the Old Testament with Gideon, you got discipleship. Whatever you see me do, do. And those 300 men, they were vigilant. They were on guard. They were ready to go. They're like, okay, ready. Let's do it. So they watch him, and they're going to do it. And then he tells them to say something very particular. What does he say? They blow the trumpet, and they say, The sword of the Lord... And of Gideon. So he gives God the credit. He didn't say the sword of Gideon. That was the dream, remember? They were talking about how it was Gideon. But here he says, no, it's the sword of the Lord. That's the only reason why we're going to gain victory here. So he gives all the credit back to God. All the credit back to God. All right, verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. That's midnight. That's midnight. And they had newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets, and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets, and break the pitchers, and held the lamps in their left hands, and the trumpets in their right hands, to blow withal, and they cried, The sword of the Lord, and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the hosts ran, and cried, and fled." And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts. And the host fled to Bethshida in Zerah, Zerath, and to the border of Abel, Abel-Meholah, sure, and unto Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, and out of Asher, and out of Manasseh, and pursued after the Midianites. Okay, so now, let's get some volunteers for me. Let's see, we're going to need... Let's see, one, two, three, four volunteers. Give me two high school, two junior high. One, two, three, four. Perfect. All right. Do you guys have phones with torches on them? Okay. Do you have one? No. Okay, you can give me mine. Okay, perfect. Okay, so you go to that corner. Brandon, you go to that corner. Yep, you can go to that corner. You can go to that corner. Okay? so get your phones out with your flashlights, all right? And then, Andy, when I tell you to, go ahead and turn that light off in the back. No, keep them closed. Okay, so you're going to do exactly what they did, all right? So the breaking of the pitchers is you shaking that bad boy. I'm going to turn this off. Yep. And you're going to have your torch in your hand, and I want you to do a trumpet sound. Yeah, oh no, I gotta do trumpet sounds. Yes, do a trumpet sound. Okay, and I want you to kind of hear the confusion that it would have caused. Ready, Andy? Good. Where's the trumpet? (laughs) All right, awesome. Okay, and now imagine, imagine you guys were all dead asleep and you heard that. What the heck? Like, you would have gotten up, and then you would have grabbed your sword. You're in battle, and you have not been able to see anything that's going on except for these torches, these things being shook, and you're just nuts. You're like, and they're thinking Gideon. Remember? Gideon's name has been spread throughout. It's Gideon. It's Gideon. It's their host. And they get up, and all of a sudden, they start slaying each other. Now, I was going to have you guys do that, but I was thinking, you know, probably, you know. Carpet and everything, chairs, and there'd be a whole lot of cleaning to do. Probably shouldn't do that. But I'm telling you, it was mass confusion like mass confusion. And so God takes care of it. He steps in and He causes them in a situation where there's so much confusion going on between the noises of the pots that are shaking. They have these lights. They got the the trumpets that they're blowing and they're yelling the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And can you imagine the fear inside of them now that they've been hearing the stories about Gideon and what God was going to do to the Midianites. And they were fearful. So you have this whole scenario unfold and they start killing each other. And then they start crying (laughs) I mean that's what it says that's exactly what it says it says very very specifically all the hosts ran and cried and fled bunch of sissies (laughs) I mean this is what's happening so much confusion that they're fleeing they're running they're crying they're killing each other and so now Gideon's like this is it and so then he gathers all the men the 300 and they go after him and they start taking out their enemies alright you guys can have a seat thank you good job You were great. You guys would have slaughtered many of the Midianites. That was amazing. Why don't we clap for them just because we can? (laughs) All right, so now you have all this is going on. They pursue them, and it says that they got themselves together in verse 23 of Naphtali and Asher and out of Manasseh, and they pursued after the Midianites. And so every person was in their place. And I love how God did this. So all these guys were in their place. They held their ground. It says that in verse 21. They stood every man in his place round about the camp and all those ran, cried, and fled. Every man did their part. Every man did their part. Every single person did exactly what they were told. They did it together in unison and God was able to do something amazing. That is such a great spiritual truth for you guys. If every single one of you are doing exactly what God wants you to do, and you stand your ground, and you do it together, unified, God can do something seriously amazing. And the enemy will flee, and they will cry. And everything the enemy plans against you will completely fall to pieces. And it doesn't matter how many of you there are, or how few of you there are. And so after that unfolds, you get got verse 24 and verse 25. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they slew Oreb upon the rock, Oreb, and Zeb. They slew at the winepress of Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side, Jordan. So not only did Gideon take those 300 men, but then he gathered everybody else. Gideon invited the rest of Israel to join in on the battle. And when I was thinking about this, you know, I thought, you know, at the very beginning, how many did we have at the beginning? 32,000. And then you had 10, and then you had 300. And there are probably more out of the 32,000 that decided to stay home. And Gideon could have just been mad at them. You guys were fearful. You were afraid, and you went when we needed you. Where were you? But he didn't have a bad attitude towards them. Instead, when they had the victory, he said, we need all hands on deck. I don't care who you were before. We need you now. Come on, let's go. And that's exactly what he did. He put out an invitation when he could have been angry with the rest of Israel, but he realized that it was not about him. It was about God and God's people in getting the victory, and we all need each other. We all need each other. We all need each other. That is is very important for you to understand. You may think right now that there are people in this room that you don't really care for, and that you don't get along with, and that you really don't need them, and you are dead wrong. You're wrong. God puts the body together, and every single person is needed. And if you're thinking otherwise, if you're thinking maybe that you don't fit, you're wrong. If you think that you don't belong, you're wrong. And if you think someone else doesn't belong and they don't fit, you're wrong. We need each other. Every single person that comes in and is a part of our youth ministries, we need desperately. Every single person. And I'm not joking, and I'm not saying this just to say it, it is the absolute truth. I've seen people that I didn't think would really do anything for the Lord do the most for the Lord because they were just willing and obedient. When people that seemed like they had it all together were just prideful and arrogant and God couldn't do anything with them. We all need each other. And especially with the stuff that's going on right now in our church. We all need each other. There's not a single person that we do not need. Okay, laying this out at the end, conforming ourselves to the Word of God. You know, There's a few questions that kind of come to my mind, but I want you to write down the things that really stood out to you in this lesson. Um, here's a couple that, that I had that I was thinking through that really convicted me. Uh, before you can lead, you must follow. And that was true of the Israelites and of Gideon. And so how closely are you following the Lord? I think another one that I was thinking about too, and you can write down your own. You can kind of ignore me if you want. Um, would you have made the cut to fight for the Lord and for His people? Would you have made the cut? Would you have been among the 32,000? Would you have been among the 22 that went home, fearful and afraid? Would you have been among the, uh, the remaining, what would that be, 6,700? Or whatever? No. 97. Yeah, 9,700. that decided to drink with their faces into the river. Would you have been able to make the cut? or how willing are you to forsake your ways and to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ which means it's not about what you want it's not about what you think it's about doing what God wants you to do period you need to be willing to forsake your ways to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding and in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths and really thinking about Gideon overall what is the condition of your courage for the Lord among the majority when you're in the face of the majority that are against God what does your courage look like I mean what does it look like Have you been in a situation where you've been the minority to take a stand for the Lord and you really didn't do anything because you were afraid? I mean, I've been in that situation. But man, have some guts. When God is with you, there's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, we might be afraid, but are you still willing to obey in the midst of that fear? There's a whole lot, but those are just the four that I just kind of was thinking about as I was working through this. I've heard this story so many times, even as a kid going through Sunday school, but thinking about it from this angle really helped me. Gideon was just a humble man that God used, but he did some amazing things with just a small group of guys, and it's absolutely incredible, and God's plan was perfect. But he may have thought, man, this is insane. So God, you want me to take like a pitcher with a lamp and a trumpet, and that's what we're going to do? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But yet he did it and it worked. <laughs> you mean God knew what He was doing all along? <laughs> How about that? Yeah, He does. He knows exactly what He's doing. So don't ever treat God like He doesn't know what He's doing. He knows exactly what He's doing. It's, it's really about you and me, whether our hearts are right or not. Alright, let's get someone to pray and we'll be done. Who would like to pray? Close this out. Go ahead. we me, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we all could be here at this church tonight and I just think that we could uh, hear Stephen's lesson about Gideon. That we can really take this in and apply it to our lives, and I know I will. And I just uh, thank you that I was have the opportunity to just like film this and just really get to know what to do with it, with uh, this uh, opportunity I can have with the youth group. And I thank thank you for uh, Thanksgiving and all and what the pilgrims did this the, the past, and we really just need to give thanks to each other and be thankful for our blessings. And I just never pray, Amen. Amen.